Amen. You can grab a seat. Good morning. My name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And today we're going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you'd like to turn your way there. If you have a digital copy and you want to tap your way there, Galatians chapter 6. Well, we start this brief new series we're calling uh, Tell the Truth, and it's a collection of a couple of different things that I'd like for us to think about, talk about, update on before we jump into the fall sort of season. So there's seasonality to church life. I don't know if you knew this or not. I didn't really. You know, we moved here and we started Hope Church, and when we were talking to pastors, they're like, well, yeah, you know, in the summer, you're going to see people a little less because they're going to be traveling. It's like, oh, okay. Well, what about like the winter? And they're like, well, in the winter, you know, people are skiing. So you're going to see people a little bit less. It's like, all right. So when do we see them? They're like, Mother's Day, you know, Christmas, <laughs> Easter, you get a couple, you know. Uh, that's not really been the case. By God's grace, we see people every week and it's awesome. But I will say there are some places where we want to be strategic. And one of them is kind of with back to school. I don't know if you feel this. But for the group of people that have kids in the sort of school age, there is something uh, different about your rhythm when the kids are just home all the time over the summer and, oh my gosh, and then in August when they go back to school and you kind of get back on a rhythm. Church seems to get back on the schedule for people when they start, you know, the kids going back to school. There's just something about that kind of fall time, and we want to grab that momentum. So on September 10th, we're going to be kicking back off with community groups. We're going to be kicking off this new series on anxiety, which, you know, selfishly, I just want to research and talk about. But also, I think uh, in talking to friends and neighbors, that's something that we experience. So I think it could be really helpful. And I'd like to encourage you to think about committing to being here every week of that series. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, you need it. Two, it's church. Three, you can be a consistent presence for guests that we have come during that time. It's hard when I think like, oh, this person, you're a plumber. I need to introduce you to my friend plumber that's here at Hope Church. And then I go look for you and like, you know, that was just the one week, which again, there's grace and mercy. It's not like you're earning your salvation by coming to church, but there are good things that can happen uh, when you're here regularly. So maybe go ahead and mark that on your calendar about six weeks, starting September 10th. We're going to have that new series. So at Hope Church, I don't know if you've uh, seen this or not, but we have shirts, the shirts that are for sale up there. And if you buy one, the money goes to support our mission and the mission of Hope Church and disciple making and church planning. But almost every single one of those shirts has a phrase on it. It says, fully known, fully loved. And we don't talk about it enough. We, we should, but there's a part of, I think, people that have been around a minute that sort of just go, yeah, hey, amen. And maybe don't translate for for newer people what we mean by that. But when we say fully known, fully loved, we're talking about the reality of what love is really like. Because love that's really love requires knowledge of the other person. I mean, you can have goodwill towards somebody. You can even have like an infatuation of somebody. But when we think about love or the substantive kind of love that we're looking for in the world, it doesn't really come until you get to know that person. You got to know something about them. You got to be with them over a pretty time. You got to see not just that first sort of best angle that they show the world, but you got to see some of those other angles too. You got to walk with them through some of the stuff that gets really hard for them, and you got to see them in some ugly moments. You got to know them more fully if you're going to love them more fully. 
Now, at Hope Church, that doesn't really happen that often. Like, we are, we are seeking to do that with each other, but of course, our knowledge of each other is limited. I mean, I think you only have a couple of relationships that go really far in that direction. You can think about family relationships, deep, close friendships that you have, of course, like a spouse relationship or a parenting relationship. But God commands, models a kind of love that really is a full knowledge and a full love. When we say fully known, fully loved, we're hoping to model that and maybe even show that to one another. But really what we're talking about is not the great love that exists in the people of Hope Church. We're kind of, you know, crummy people. We're talking about the incredible love that comes from God, that God actually knows you. I think religiously, people have this idea that they can do with God like they try to do with other people, where they show God like a best angle. They make a case for their goodness, and that God accepts them based on that goodness, and then he rewards them based on that goodness. But Christianity says, no, 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 no. Actually, who we are as people is really broken. And we can point to lots of reasons for that, but ultimately, I think we have to point to ourselves for a lot of it. And that God knows all of that brokenness, like he really does know everything that you've ever done. He knows your heart and your disposition as you did all the things that you ever did. So while you want to make a case for why it wasn't that bad, he can maybe hear that, but he also knows the whole truth. He also knows the whole story. He knows you fully. And in knowing you fully, please receive the grace of this, in knowing you fully, He chose to love you fully. He he chose knowing you. And we didn't coordinate this, but when Eduardo read those verses from Romans 5, he knew your criminality. He knew your brokenness. And he chose, while knowing that, to love you with a love that was so great that he sent his son to die for you, to trade places with you. And now he's wise enough to know that there's a resurrection coming. He's not like actually like losing Jesus, but there is some actual, real, awful sacrifice that takes place when the Son of God takes on the sin of humanity and dies for it. And he did. He chose to do that. He laid down his life and he picked it back up. But why did he do that? And for whom did he do that? Notice I used the word whom correctly there. Thank you. For whom did he do that? He did that because he loves you. He did that for you. I think you can see why that's a bit of a slogan for us. Those are some good news kind of ideas. Those are things that you want to think about regularly. Those are the kind of things you put on a t-shirt, if not like a tattoo. Like They're great to meditate on. And if that's at the root of what God has done for us, do you understand that we, like branches from that vine, are going to try to produce that same relationship with other people? So it's one thing to understand that that's God's relationship to us, but then you need to take your next step and understand that relationship from you to others. Because loneliness is a big deal. I don't know if you know about loneliness as a topic. Like everybody knows what it is to be lonely, but there's studies that are done on loneliness. And some of them, some of the best studies that are done on the topic are done in our state at Brigham Young University. There's a lady there uh, named Julianne Holt Lundstad, PhD, professor of psychology and neuroscience. She wrote 
uh, in this sort of academic journal, and it was reported on by uh, APA. But uh, anyway, she, she was talking about the adverse effects of loneliness on a person physically. From her research, a lack of social connection heightens health risks as much as smoking. 15 cigarettes a day or having an alcohol use disorder. She also found that loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity. Did you read that? Twice. So if you, like me, looked at your scale or your mirror this morning and you thought maybe things were rounder or heavier than you were hoping, and you got to Hope Church and you had a donut and you felt bad about that too, listen, read the research, make a couple friends, have another donut, you're going to be fine. (laughs) The net result is health, okay? (laughs) So we want that. We want that. Like you can see that just by looking at humanity with some level of objectivity. And the Bible's way ahead of us. The Bible has said from the beginning that this is what should be happening. All of God's commands can be condensed into two. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is a all that takes place where all of who you are is focused on, um, put towards, thinking about, praying to, singing about, obeying, loving, engaging with, yelling at the God who is your God at all times. Uh, Are you alone? No. (laughs) My faith is small, so I feel alone, but I'm not. He's put his Holy Spirit in me. He loves me. He's with me. He's everywhere. We have this doctrine that God's omnipresent, meaning he's at all places at all times. You're not. But then he goes further and he says, no, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this disposition that's also pointing out. So as you're pointing towards him and he wants that, right, he's also pointing at other people. So yeah, yeah, me, but also look around, you know, see see around you, buddy. And so, oh yeah, there's people here too and I'm looking at you. And even if you're an introverted person, you are still called by God while you're recharging by yourself to think about of these other people. God said it really beautifully. When he said in Genesis 2, looking at unfallen man. So this isn't a symptom of the fall. Unfallen man. It's not good. That man should be alone. And so we get this command in Galatians in the New Testament. And this is Galatians 6.2. This is where we're going to be this morning. Where the Apostle Paul, looking at this church, tells them, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Woo, that one's really good. It's really hard, but it's really good. And that's where I want us to start in this little series on Tell the Truth. I want us to think about what that means. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Two sort of thoughts that are here. One, share your burden. Two, bear their burden. Sharing and bearing, baby. Share your burden bear their burden. Let's start with that first one. Share your burden. Listen, it is hard to be honest. I know we say we don't lie, you know, we're honest people. Okay, well, self-disclosure is like something that you decide. You decide how much of who you are you're going to tell other people. And what is that, lying? What is that, honesty? Self-disclosure is hard, and it's a dial that you turn. When you want to be honest and share who you are with other people, it's difficult. We find that we often try to 
share who we are in ways that maybe don't share who we are. In Christian community, we often will pray for each other. And so we have these community groups, which David alluded to, I'm going to keep talking about. And these community groups, one of the primary functions they have is to care for one another. One of the best ways we do that is to pray for one another. And you'll notice as people share their prayer requests, uh, there are certain things that sort of come out. In the community, like just human nature, there's a thing called a humble brag. Have you heard of that before? It's an idea that you would say something that's just like a comment, you know, like a reflection or even a complaint. But in that complaint or in that reflection, like you slip in something really impressive uh, about yourself. So Harvard and UNC Chapel Hill actually published a journal. This is what these people are studying right now. Uh, that that it, it actually is worse to humble brag about yourself than just to straight self-promote. And they gave a couple of examples. So the this is, again, from Harvard University. The, fall, uh, the, um, the first sort of humble brag way of doing things is to fall back on a complaint. And here's their, <laughs> here's their like, example. I hate that I look so young. Even a 19-year-old hit on me. Do you see what happened? Like, oh, man, have sympathy with me because of this hard thing that's happening. And then they say something really beautiful about themselves. So, that's so like, it's a humble brag. The second relies on humility. Why do I always get asked to work on the most important assignments? Hmm. Oh, do you? Oh, wow. You know, like you, you just, uh, uh, like you don't want to hear that ever. Like that's such a gross way of speaking and thinking. Well, if you get into a community group, kind of get ready. Because when you have prayer requests, you'll have people that'll prayer request humble brags. They'll say, oh, you know, will you pray for me? I just... Just need some wisdom. You know, the, the boss is really depending on me a lot at work. There's just a lot going on. Hey, will you, will you pray for me? The kids, man, you know, they just, they're wanted by all these different communities and sports, and they're really succeeding well, and we just want to steward their time really well as a family. Oh, do you? Yeah, you do? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's real hard for you, bud. You know, you, you have this sort of humble brag thing that happens. And whether it's formatted like that or not, the emphasis is always there when you're in community to show like a version of yourself. And if that community is trying to value humility, then you try to find a version of humility that still prevents, presents like a really good side of yourself. And we know that because then you go the other way. And as leaders of community groups, it's kind of our job to try and lead people into authenticity. And so we try to share real stuff about ourselves so prayer time, you know, the community group leader is going to share and maybe say like, hey, you know, honestly, we've been fighting a lot in our marriage this week and I've just been really lazy. And you share something like that and you can watch as everybody else in the room goes, you go too far and they don't want to share at all because, ooh, that's not a good look. I don't want anything to do with that. You look gross and I don't want to be like you. And so they, they go way back and you're just kind of out there on your own as a community group leader. And all of a sudden, all of the other prayer requests are like, yeah, you know, my aunt's got a knee replacement coming. If you guys could pray for it. Like it gets real surface level and physical maladies in extended family. It's hard to be honest. It's really hard. It requires a sacrifice for you to say, yes, I'm not great. Here are specific ways that I'm not great. It's a burden that you carry. And part of the reason that it's hard to be honest is pride, but part of the reason is that you're not really sure that you're very honest with yourself about who you are. 
Like you develop coping mechanisms for the difficult things that you deal with and you develop them early on. Like the, the coping mechanism closely follows the pain. So if you like came by your anxiety honestly, you know, like it came from mom and dad, you know, you got it immediately, you're gonna come with those same, you're gonna drink in those same sort of coping mechanisms mom and dad have or, or invent your own, but it's gonna be something pretty constant. And so when you get to a place in life where you're ready to examine who you are, it's going to be kind of difficult. You might be the worst person to say who you are. Kind of weird to think, but I think it's true. We need the mirror of God's word to see ourselves rightly, but we also need the mirror of each other to see ourselves rightly. It can be hard to be honest because you're not really even sure who you are yourself and, and your body can start to break down before you realize the sort of emotional weight that you've been carrying and not sort of paying off over time in your life. But Christianity needs to confront us there. That idea that we're going to be like shiny, happy people and all come here together and be able to like show our best selves but not really be real with anybody is not true. Christianity is not built that way. The fact that we kind of want it to be built that way is us bringing that to Christianity. That's not Jesus. No, I take a lot of grace from the fact that great saints deal with really great problems. There's a guy named Zach Eswine. He's a writer and pastor who went through a big divorce and all this different stuff. He shares a lot about his own life, but he also compiled, he wrote this book called Spurgeon's Sorrows about one of the greatest preacher pastors in the English language. And this guy lived and had this amazing ministry that drew thousands and thousands of people to know Christ back in London and, you know, whatever time zone it was, like 1800s. And that guy, you'd think, he's got it, man. Silver-tongued, he can just speak, and he's preaching all week, and all these people are coming to Christ, and he's leading these great movements, and he is impacting. He's this hinge point for the gospel. But he had incredible depression, so that Eswine guy, he just puts it all together. He puts this little book together called Spurgeon's Sorrows. And he talks about how the great saint had this great problem. And it's just an emotional problem. I don't know, depression's complicated, but, but I take some grace from that. There's a guy named Ed Welch that I read constantly. I'm quoting a lot. He's this great Christian counselor and pastor. He got his Ph.D., in neuroscience. Like he knows a lot of this stuff from the scientific side, but then also he's been a a Christian and and writing about this stuff from a biblical perspective for a long time. And he still has regular panic attacks. Like, shouldn't you have fixed that by now, bud? Like what, what education does it take? Like what wisdom does it take to like click that off? He still has them. He knows more than you do about panic attacks and he still has them. I actually take grace from that. Went through a, a, like a high-level seminar with a guy who's like the guy on marriage counseling. And he spent a long time telling us about how he and his wife almost got a divorce. They didn't. God brought beauty for ashes, but they almost did. Did he have a knowledge gap? Was there some big thing he didn't know about marriage that you do that makes your marriage awesome? No. <laughs> no, he knew. But here he was actually take a lot of grace from that. I think there's something that's real about that. Burdens are real, and you've got one. 
There's a parable where Jesus talks about the kind of work that we're doing as kingdom servants, and he talks about burdens in that, in that parable. It's Matthew 20, but in the second part of Matthew 20, 12, he talks about bearing the burden of the day and the scorching heat, the work that we do in the environment in which we do them, the, the, that work, that kingdom work, is difficult. It's burdensome. You're carrying a heavy weight. New Testament scholar, a guy named Timothy George, longtime president uh, at Sanford, said, for some, it is the burden of temptation and the consequences of a moral lapse, as in verse 1 in Galatians 6. You can read verse 1 if you've still got it open. For others, it may be a physical ailment, a mental disorder, a family crisis, a lack of employment, demonic oppression, a host of other things, but no Christian is exempt from burdens. And around you right now are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, able and ready to walk with you through those burdens. You just need to share them. How are you going to do that? Well, I think programmatically, the best way to do it is to join a community group. Are you in one? Yeah, a lot of you are. Awesome. They're going to kick back up and be regular again starting September 10th, but they're going to meet before that too. Talk to somebody. Figure out which one you want to be involved with. And when you get there, be real with somebody. If it's not prayer request time kind of appropriate, I understand. But somebody in that room maybe could get coffee with you through the week or get ice cream with you through the week because you got friendships so the calories work out. Have like a meeting with you through the week and talk with you about it. It matters. You got to share your burden. But you also got to bear the burden of some of these people around you. Uh Uh-oh. Hear that command again. Bear one another's burdens. You are called to be involved with the people that are around you. I don't like that. <laughs> like I, I like the first part of the sermon, actually. And I know it's hard to be honest, but I love this idea that everybody around me is kind of here to serve me, like to hear my burden and carry it for me. Okay, well, but the implication, of course, and actually the, the command is that you would bear one another's burdens, that you would be somebody for whom others could, could place their burden. I got that, that got uh, Ed Welch. He wrote a book called Side by Side. In it, he says, God is pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love to do most of the heavy lifting in his kingdom. I don't know if you just read that with me, but what I'm doing right now, I don't think I mean, I wish, I would love to think this, but I don't think it's true. I don't think is the primary means of progress for our church. Like sitting through this, sitting through the music, getting a donut, high-fiving a greeter, maybe serving with kids ministry. Like, I don't think that those things are the main function of Hope Church. I think the main function of Hope Church is going to be the burden bearing that takes place as you worship God and then care for people. And that care for people is in this room and beyond this room. So, you know, stay for all three weeks. This isn't just us help each other. Beyond this room, but, but sharing one another's burdens and bearing one another's burdens in these ordinary people having ordinary conversations in which the extraordinary love and wisdom of God do most of the heavy lifting in his kingdom. I, I think that that command is real. And if that command is real, I hope you're starting to understand some of the implications on you. That means that you can't afford to just be foolish 
other people depend on you. Other people in like really vulnerable moments are gonna ask your thoughts about something. You can't afford to be an idiot in those moments. You need to gain wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like knowing the Lord by, by knowing Jesus, you're already started. Like being able to go back to the gospel, which is why that two paragraphs thing about knowing your testimony, being able to say it regularly, be able to say it in a a way you've already kind of thought through, to be able to say it thoughtfully. There's so much wisdom in what God did in just meeting you. You already have way more than you realize for the kind of conversations that you're going to have with somebody. But when they speak to you, it's on you to have invested something in wisdom. To have some kind of humility that says, I don't know if things don't go great, but to have the kind of wisdom, to be growing in the kind of wisdom that means that when somebody asks you something, you're able to say something that is a little bit more wise and a little bit less foolish than if they had asked you that same thing the day before. You're like a fireman. Like firemen, I don't really know what they do. I'm not a fireman. I'm not close with anybody that is a fireman. But there's only so many fires that take place. The rest of the time, they're hanging out at the firehouse. And that's cool, you know, I'm sure there's darts and stuff fun that's happening, but there's also like preparedness that's taking place. Seems like they're washing those trucks a lot. Well, why? They're washing those trucks so that when the call comes, they're ready to go. They're polishing the fire poles so that when the call comes, they can go quickly from the upper story to the lower story and be in the garage, jackets on, ready to go to the fire quickly. They're preparing for the emergency before the emergency. We don't want them to be hanging at the firehouse drunk and disorderly because then when the call comes, they're not ready. Brothers and sisters, are you ready? What's the last book you read? How often are you in the scriptures? How many hard conversations do you have with other people where they're speaking wisdom into your life? that you could kind of reflect on and then maybe be ready to pass on to somebody else. I'm terrified when somebody wants to set a meeting or I get a phone call or an email because you go, what now? What do I say? And I've had the advantage of a lot of different, you know, experiences and training and whatnot. But I'll tell you this, that God who has called you to this ministry equips you in this ministry. It's so surprising how often when you're faithful to just like spend a little bit of time in the word in the morning, that that verse that you've been thinking about or that song that you've had in the back of your head is the perfect answer to this person's question that they have about God or about their relationship with him. He just does it. But if you're faithful, you watch. You're going to need to invest in wisdom if you're going to bear other people's burdens. We take it seriously. We're not going to be in the business of just giving out pop psychology. We want to know what God's answer is, and we want to speak it to God's people for God's glory. If you're going to bear one of those burdens, you've got to get wisdom, but you've also got to get ready to love. 1 Corinthians 13, beautiful love chapters. Pretty short, actually. Memorize a bull. I think there's an Edmonds little girl that can speak the whole thing to you if you want her to. You probably bribe her a little bit, Kenny, and she would just, boo! She could say the whole 1 Corinthians 13. Very impressive. You don't even have to memorize the whole thing, though. Just memorize this middle part. Verses 4 to 7, it says, Love is patient. I know, it's so hard. Because most of the time, I don't want you to say anything. Like, I want, like, rhetorical, like, kind of, like, weight when I leave those pauses. I want them to be really dramatic and just sit there. But you also feel this, like, no, I want to, you know, if he wants me to say it, I want to say it. Okay, just sit here. Love is 
patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy or boast. Crap. <laughs> like, that's everything that I do. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. Again, <laughs> what percentage of your day is irritable and resentful? It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you remember Jesus? He said in his ministry that you should forgive somebody, not seven times in a day, but 77 times, seven times in a day, like as many times as they need it. If your brother sins against you and confesses, you forgive him. If they do it again that day, you forgive them. If they do it four more times that day, you forgive them. Maybe you don't give them the opportunity to do the same like damage again, but you forgive them. Where does that come from? It comes from what love actually is. It's the sap of this, this, this vine of which you and I are branches. It's, it's just how love, that's God love, works. You show it to other people and it's going to, every single time you do it, help you to really believe and know that God actually feels that kind of love towards you. <laughs> it's all connected. If you're going to bear one another's burdens, you've got to gain wisdom, of course, but you also need to be ready to love. And, and how do you love like that? Well, again, programmatically, functionally, join a community group. Talk to somebody else. Be real with them and watch as they start to be real with you and how that starts to have implications on your calendar, on your schedule. And you got to make time to bear some of their burdens. But ultimately, of course, like I'm saying, it's, it's connected back to God's love towards you. The only way for you to really share your burden and have the, the confidence to be able to do that, whether or not they accept you or reject you, the only way you're going to have the strength really to bear the burden of another with the divine kind of love that God calls you to, the divine kind of wisdom that God models and speaks to you, is to have a relationship that's a real relationship with Jesus so that you actually know and feel his love towards you. A man abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. It's his love through you. That's what it says in Romans 15, 1 through 3. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, again, that sounds kind of nice. Not because it's like pleasing, that sounds really awful from a day-to-day -day basis, but at least you would have the pride of knowing you're one of the strong, right? But let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Uh-oh, so that's undercutting the pride motivation. So, so what's the motivation for being one of these people who's going to bear with the repeated failings, plural, of the weak? Well, you look at your model. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. How do you bear another's burden? You know the Christ who has borne your burden. That's what we mean when we talk about Christianity. We talk about actually knowing God. It's not about doing all this other stuff that you should do. It's about knowing 
God? Do you know him? Jesus has come to bear your burden, not to just get it off your back, but so that you can look at him and see him being real, loving, repeated, daily, like vital relationship, fully known, fully loved relationship with him. Do you know him? Listen, if we can get that piece, if we can really figure that out, knowing one another well and and introducing one another well to that Jesus, man, we become a sharing and bearing kind of crowd. We become the kind of crowd that Jesus said the world will know by our love for one another. Okay, you don't know where to start? Okay. Do you know him? That's really the place to start. If you do, are you investing in any kind of time with him on a regular basis? Do you wake up and read something, pray something, sing something? I'd love to model that for you. The community groups would love to model that for you. Join a community group. Be around some people who can live this out with you. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace. Because this stuff is really hard for us. And it shouldn't be. Lord, your love is so beautiful. Like, it's really compelling. We should want it, and we should want to give it. But there's a thousand speed bumps on that road that look like pride and look like selfishness and look like all of these sins that we got to kind of say no to because you hate. Lord, investing in in love and investing in wisdom is often not that attractive. It seems kind of boring. It's as boring as sitting still and letting somebody else talk. Ah, ah, Father, we're people that need to get better at this. And we want to get better at it, Father, because as we understand love of others, Lord, we're constantly understanding your love of us. Boy, that is just such a wonderful motivator, Lord, because that's heaven. Heaven isn't about golden streets, and heaven isn't about the lack of difficulty and pain, Lord. Heaven is about a perfect, unmitigated relationship with you. Let us start to enjoy that now as we model your love for others, understanding who you are through Jesus Christ. We love you, sir. Pray that you would do these things for your glory and our good. In your holy name we pray. Amen.